Have you not been recording? No, I had to, I had to delete it because I needed to test it for audio quality. The couple of cabals comment was our opener. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It definitely was I, not. Uh, I am editing it, uh, so yes, it was. All right, I'll have to ADR that, whatever it's called. Just, just say, just say, I hate this country. I'm going to destroy it with my cabal of ginger children. Um. I hate this country. I'm going to destroy it with my cabal of ginger children. Okay. Oh, yeah? I got a couple of cabals okay. right here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Jason. I'm Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. And tonight we are talking about The Edge of Tomorrow, also known as Live Die, colon. What? Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Live Die, repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> or simply, don't, don't perpetuate that myth. Or simply live, die, repeat. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, they remarketed that hard. Why, yeah, why? It, was weird. it was a 2014 American science fiction action film. Uh, it is written by Christopher McQuarrie, uh, Jez Butterworth, which is the greatest fucking name I've heard in a long time. <laughs> That's a fake and, name. That's got to be a fake name. And John Henry Butterworth, which sounds a lot more real than Jez, but... <laughs> Uh, in case you didn't know, this is based on All You Need Is Kill by Kiroshi Sakurazaka. I think I actually nailed that one. Yeah. Uh, it's directed by Doug Lehman. Probably the least interesting name I've said yet. Uh, it is starring Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, Bill Paxton, and Brendan Gleeson. Uh, as I said, the film came out in 2014. It had a budget of 178 million dollars. I heard the more most most of that budget was actually in marketing alone. Um, you boys already know what the box office is. We're gonna stop playing that game. I know you all look it up. Uh, it made 370.5 million dollars. Billion dollars. Oh, I was wrong. Um, before we get into it, though, Ben, what is this movie about? This is a good one. U.S. Major William Cage, a charismatic officer who has never seen battle in his life, is railroaded to the front of a counter-invasion against an alien force that has taken over Europe called Mimics. But when Cage is bathed in the blood of an alpha mimic, he is forced to live and die in the same day over and over again until he and Sergeant Rita Vratoski, a soldier who has experienced the same phenomenon as Cage, can seek and destroy the core of this time-traveling extraterrestrial threat. It's, it's, it's live, die, repeat! It's live, die, repeat, Edge of Tomorrow! <laughs> live, die, repeat! 
Oh, man, I guess we just start there. What the fuck? Why did they change this name so many times? It actually, from my understanding, um, and I will preface this by saying, I saw this movie opening day with my sister. So we saw it in 2014, I believe, when it came out, right? Um, And it was kind of funny because I don't think it domestically did, like, really well at all. Critically, it did really well. It ended up making its money back and then some internationally. But a lot of the, um, you know, I guess, like, the, the studio machinery blamed the name and the marketing for its lack of, you know, uh, I guess, performance or how well it did. So when it went to home media, they started calling it live, die, repeat, subtitle, you know, uh, colon, whatever, edge of tomorrow. And it was kind of funny because it's like a big controversy, like depending on who you ask, it's, is it edge of tomorrow? Is it live, die, repeat? Is it live, die, repeat, edge of tomorrow? And uh, it was kind of funny because I was actually reading up on it yesterday and like, the studio is like, no, we didn't change the name. But if you look, I think on all like streaming services, it's marketed as Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, which is kind of like, oh, I mean, I don't particularly think Live, Die, Repeat is any much like any better of a name than Edge of Tomorrow is. I don't know what you guys think, but it always kind of I, like. I think if that was a nod towards the source material, that would be cool. But the source material is all you need is kill. Right. So it's like, OK, why did you choose that then? I thought Edge of Tomorrow is a cool name. I don't know. I mean, but I was going to see this movie anyway. So it's not like anyone really needed to entice me or that, you know, a name was going to make or break this for me. But I thought Edge of Tomorrow sounded cool when I first saw, like, the you know original trailer and everything else. Like, to me, hey, yeah, okay, right on it. Fits the theme of the movie. Maybe they fucked up with the live, die, repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. Because, like, someone's like, all right, I have to enter this in, you know, to whatever database. And uh, someone's like, all right, what's the movie called? And they're like, well, just look at the poster. And it says, Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. All right, fucking weird name, but let's do it. <laughs> Nobody caught happened. it. Nobody <laughs> caught yeah. it. They're stuck with it. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Just put it in there. <laughs> Get this thing going. That's what you do when, you, when you're burning the midnight oil. You make those kinds of stupid mistakes. I mean, but then you look at the Blu-ray disc, which is out of control. Like, you have this... Uh, if you, if you just go on Amazon, listeners, you'll see it. You have this giant live next to uh, Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise. Die next to like a, an air, an air drop, a dropship crash. And then repeat next to Tom Cruise's face. And then at the bottom, it says Cruise slash Blunt slash Edge of Tomorrow with no spaces. <laughs> <laughs> like in little tiny tags. Okay, I got to look that up. Holy yeah, shit. I want to look it's, that up too. I, I, that's why I'm like, I don't really believe that they did. They really say they didn't change the name because it's obvious they changed the fucking yeah. name. Like, yep, it's just obvious. It's pretty funny. Why would you ever? Why would you be like, no, I don't think so. No, it's we like didn't change. Gaslighting it. your fans. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it's like such this controversial thing, and it's funny because <laughs> as I think, right, I know exactly. Like Colin just showed me the Blu-ray cover, and it's just like yeah. it's funny because like. I'm, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but, like, it's a good movie. So who, what the fuck does it matter what the title is? Like, why would you go through all that hassle? Like, you have a, you've, you've created a film and a product that is really good. So, like, why, you know, split hairs? I don't know. Or why? More, like, <laughs> you, want, you, you want to change the title. Fine, change it. Who cares? Like, it, it, to the other side of that coin, you're like, well, it's a, it's a title. Who cares? It's a good movie. It's like, to the other side, it's like, okay, you want to change it? Fine, change it. Who cares? Like, 
it seems stupid. It just all seemed like like manufactured controversy to get more people to care about this movie. I was always under the impression that the movie was like suffering because of this, and like I had no idea that it, it nearly doubled its box office. So it just seems stupid that, and especially if a lot of it's on marketing, and that tells you a lot too, is that most of the budget's on marketing. Uh, and there's a sequel coming, so it's like clearly it didn't do bad. I think it was all just to kind of keep people talking about it. Well, to be fair too, I think it's funny. Like I know you know probably won't spend too much time on talking about the sequel, but it's like this movie and I guess subsequent franchise are trying to develop or whatever can't get away from like the stupid naming conventions because did you guys see the the sequel that's in development what it's yeah. called <laughs> live die repeat repeat again <laughs> yeah live die repeat what? and repeat <laughs> it's like come on I would just call it, it. Edge of Tomorrow 2 or the Edge of edge Tomorrow of the War day after tomorrow yeah the Edge, edge of the Tomorrow War <laughs> edging tomorrow I um <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, so I, I'm looking at it I think the reason they freaked out was because yeah it grossed 100.2 million dollars in North America so it flopped in North America if you just look at that but internationally it did 270.3 million um, internationally and then 37.5 total so it, and I feel like everybody sort of predicted that it would be a flop and then it kind of didn't become a flop um, this was one of those movies where I read the book, the novelization of the manga of, of, yeah. Anyway, all you need is kill, which is, which was really like the feeling I got from it was very much like a sort of they're, they're in mechs, right? They're in like full on exoskeleton suits. And that kind of like plays into like sort of the aesthetic of how the story is told kind of interesting like the the action how they portray the action this is definitely more of an action movie sort of way of doing things uh the way they did it um and uh and i like what they honestly i like the realism of it more than um all you need is kill did anybody look up anything about that uh, i no, honestly I did not get to hear about it no, it was yeah, not really basically the same plot structure almost exactly the same um except uh spoilers uh at the end of the book they find out that they have to kill all of the alphas basically all of the the you know the things that repeat time they have to kill all of them and then they find out at the end and i guess um oh shoot rita rita didn't tell uh haiji which is the character's name in the book um that they were actually also considered those creatures so they had to kill each other or one of them had to die mm, so they want so so the tom cruise's character actually winds up killing uh emily blunt's character in the novel um because they had to bat they had to duke it out they said okay one of us has to die and then let's fight and they did um which is really weird and dramatic but i think in the sort of Hollywood way of doing things, they couldn't have that ending. They couldn't, they just couldn't have that ending if they wanted to, you know, have good reception about the movie. So they had to do the sort of like cut off at the helicopter sort of thing where it's like everything's cool now. Like, so yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's cool. Yeah, I, I think that sounds interesting. I think it would have been really cool, but I, I, I don't, even, yeah, it's because of Hollywood, because of how big budget it is. 
because of the stars that are attached to it. Yeah. I think if this was like an indie flick, they could have gotten away with it and still been like a good movie. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the tone would have been off in this. I think it honestly works the way it does. Yeah. And it definitely. I don't know. There's still this kind of air of. Um, mystery around the end it doesn't feel like everything is uh okay at the end because we don't really know what happened you know like we don't really get why it ended up that way so it's like there's still this kind of like aura surrounding the end of ooh, what's what what is this all about is this real you know like i don't know there's just something kind of wrong feeling at the end I did have, like how they used the sort of because I mean, the knowledge that they gain from repeating the day is the same idea that the aliens have, um, and uh, and I think I think it was kind of cool that they would kind of be discombobulated at that point because their entire reality has kind of shifted, and so it's like they basically what 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 happened at the end? Did they like go disappear or did they just completely slaughter? I don't understand. What happened there? I'm sorry. It's been a week since I watched it. At the end of the movie? Yeah. What happened there? Because you guys just watched uh, it. Cage drops grenades into the Omega, and mm-hmm. uh, it explodes, and he gets like hit with like a pulse from the Omega, mm-hmm. and the same thing happens to him where he starts, like as when he got bathed in the Alpha Blood, and then he wakes up on the helicopter b- before he goes to meet the general. I assume that right yeah. is yeah. that correct? No, yes. no. That that's the, I get that. I was just saying, what was the news report at the end? What was the? Resolution? Oh, it was that. It was there was some sort. There was some energy pulse that seems to have left the uh, mimics unable to uh, defend Fight. themselves or yeah. something. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. No, so, that's that's basically what I was saying. Yeah. So it's like whatever, you know, the event that took place at the end of the day that was like, um, you know, Tom Cruise's and Emily Blunt's like Groundhog Day. It took place at the end of that day, but in whatever new timeline was created or whatever happened by destroying the Omega, now they're back before the prior day started, but that same event kind of crossed over, apparently, or something similar at least crossed over to where now they're defenseless. Um, Maybe the Omega itself actually has the power to go back further, like 48 hours rather than 24 hours. And so when it died like that, it sent every, it like reset the timeline still, but only in this, in this timeline now, because it resets and that's like its standard thing, it dies. Like it is dead in this timeline, just, it like jumps back to the same, to the, to the beginning of it, but it is now dead because it died in the future kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, something. Well, also speculation. I, well, I think I think also maybe because you know when they were infused with the Alpha, maybe when he was infused with the Omega, it sort of he jumped it back, but the Omega mm-hmm. doesn't exist on the same timeline as we do, so it died the entire time. So it was dead the entire time because mm-hmm. nothing ever happened, none of it ever happened, and it just died, which is what you said. So, um, if nothing happens, then nothing happens. And yeah. if it happens, then it never happened. Basically nothing happened in this movie. Um <laughs> so uh yeah, no, I and I, I feel like uh and I think what big push when I was reading on it earlier was uh they wanted to make it more humorous, which they definitely did. Um the tone in the the novel was definitely more was darker, more like uh brutal, action packed, uh whereas this they there was a certain air of humor 
to most of the scenes. And I think that one of the funniest things and sort of it's like a meta idea that I have is Tom Cruise being bad at something, which is just hilarious <laughs> to me. Like, like he that is rare. Like, he's just like, I don't think it ever happens. Like, he's supposed to be like, can Tom Cruise is an ultra competent sort of well in everything he does. He's just super like type A, type A, 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 A personality. And like, so everything he does, he's competent at. So he doesn't fit into a role where he's incompetent. But so, I loved it. I loved it. I thought it added a perfect tone to it. Um, So this is going to sound weird, but Tom Cruise has a very distinctive scream. Always has. <laughs> Especially because we've all seen that, that uh, tragedy that the happened with the mummy clip. Yeah. But every time he died in this movie... You know, they probably had a field day in the ADR room, just like one day of Tom just doing different yells, and they would just like throw that in for all of his deaths. I thought it was fantastic. I I kind of chuckled every time he died, not to sound sadistic, but I just I always laugh when he screams now. So, and not to go back to the title, but uh, I was looking through some stuff while we're talking here, and I see that that Warner Brothers president Sue Kroll at the end of filming. Uh, said that the title was changed partly due... It was originally All You Need Is Kill. And the title was changed partly due to negative chatter about the word kill in the title. Mm -hmm. Doug Lehman said he rejected the title All You Need Is Kill altogether because it didn't feel like the tone of the movie he had made. So there's that. Mm -hmm. The whole quote is interesting, too. He's like, I think the word kill in a title is very tricky in today's world. I don't know that people want to be bombarded with that word. I don't know that people want to be opening the newspaper and seeing that word. We see it in enough ki- in, in enough in kind of real newspaper headlines, and I don't think we need to see it when we're looking at a movie. Oh, this wasn't Doug Lehman. This was Erwin Stoff. So. Yeah. Well, Doug Lehman, it was really interesting. I saw the production on it. It was the... Um, he actually rewrote two-thirds of the script. He had it rewritten. Like, they spent probably, I think they had somebody write it and paid them $2 million for it. And then he came onto the project and said, yep, I'm going to hire somebody to rewrite two thirds of this and just completely yeah. rewrote it. Uh, not, not, I think uh, partially due to sort of Tom Cruise's style and age, I think was part of it. Um, but sort of the tone he was going for, <laughs> they were going for more of the darkness when they originally wrote it. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, and I forgot to mention, he also, he wanted the name to be Live, Die, Repeat also. Just Warner Brothers said no. So maybe that's why they changed the title. That's interesting, yeah. I don't think I came across any of that stuff, but I just always thought it was like, I like Edge of Tomorrow. That sounds cool. It sounds like a name, like something I would name a song or something like that. So like some, you know, (laughs) some half an hour long pretentious bullshit you know thing so i don't know i like it <laughs> My but anyway should, should write a half an hour concept album on edge of yeah Tomorrow. i saw I'd, it i'd love to hear yeah it. i saw it and i was like oh damn it no i can't name a song that now so i'll scratch that off my bank of pretentious song titles but Jesus. um <laughs> No, I, I wanted, before we pass it by, um, <clears throat> that was kind of one of my big things, too. What Bill mentioned there, uh, as far as kind of the subversion of the Tom Cruise trope, or the Tom Cruise archetype, I thought that was great, because, to, like, speaking chronologically of the story of the film, that's really the first thing that kind of, like, ropes you in. Um, if you went into the, the movie, and, um, you know, I, I watched it with Jess last night, and, you know, it was a rewatch for me, it was the first time for her. She had no clue. She didn't know about like the time, you know, aspect of it or the Groundhog Day aspect of it or anything like that. And uh, I think that subversion 
especially in that case where you go into it not really knowing anything about it, it's really effective because you're like, well, well, why is Tom Cruise a coward? Like, why is he not, you know, why, like, why is he trying to like weasel his way out of this? Like, that's not, that's, you know, that's not uh, mission impossible. That's not, you right. know, Jack Reacher or whatever, you know, like what's, what's going on here. That's not top gun, you know? Yeah. So, um, I think that's really effective. Uh, also like as a meta kind of like Bill said, where it works because of our perception of Tom Cruise, the person, you know, or the, the actor outside of just his character in the film. But also, I think it's an effective tool for his character because it kind of sets, especially that first loop, you know, I think it's great because that's like really like the real time loop. They spend a good probably, what, 25 minutes, half hour setting up kind of the rules. And then I thought it was so inventive as the film goes on, what they show you and what they don't, changing the perspective on things, because it'd be really easy just to, you know, continually kind of show how much further we're creeping in the timeline. But the fact that then they started playing with idea of, well, now we're seeing something and we don't know if Tom Cruise has seen this before or not. I just thought it was so well done and just so inventive. And, you know, I was taught, I was thinking the same thing about like how much fun this had to be to write and to kind of recreate ideas for scenes you had, like based on just introducing a couple new lines of dialogue. That'd be such a fun like experiment in the room. But uh, the the way of like not telling us, like not showing montage after montage after montage of him going back and actually like jumping the time, the number of times he goes back, you know, inevitably the character is going to have that conversation with someone of, this isn't the first time we've had this conversation, or we've had this conversation fifty times, it never changes. Like someone's gonna say that in the script somewhere, and it's a dumb line because it's like well you know it's it's oddly specific why why are you bringing this all up so the way of like getting around it is not showing how many times he goes back and so it makes that line hit harder of like a, a surprise moment for you jason and you're like oh wow like oh 50 times that's insane like i it didn't think seem like that much but like and now it's it's made uh one line one trope that is annoying in time travel movies to uh have an impact and i don't know that's something i know <clears throat> oh that's cool yeah no you're right because that that shift in perspective like jason was saying was you know you get a brand new scene for the audience but an old scene for the character kind yeah mm-hmm. and i to get what you're saying that's really uh, cool uh, one thing i really appreciate is when they finally like make it off the beach it, it feels like it's one long like this is one long attempt they just got that far but then you like slowly piece it together that it's like no Tom Cruise has really fucking lived this day so many times that all the way up to the helicopter, does he even make it further than that? I don't know. Yeah, I thought that scene was great um, when they're, because they do that foreshadowing too, where, you know, he says uh, like the middle name and all that stuff. And then when you kind of see that, it it becomes all the more tragic, you know, kind of how he knows that or how he's put in that situation. And then, you know, it's the same thing, too. Like, one of the um, ideas, I guess, Jess and I were kind of kicking around last night after we watched it, because she loved it. I mean, she thought it was phenomenal, and like I said, it was her first viewing of it. But um, just what that would emotionally and, and you know, um, I guess mentally do to someone to, to relive that and to see these people that you kind of eventually, uh, you care about and you develop feelings for, you know, as, uh, you know, people... Uh, friend, you know, romantic feelings, whatever. Um, 
to see them die time and time and time again, uh, you could see that shift. And I thought that was a, a really good bit of acting by Tom Cruise, just how much he conveyed just with his facial expression when he walks up to Emily Blunt's character, uh, Rita, and, you know, she's doing her normal thing where she's doing like the yoga pose or whatever. And just the look on his face is just like utter, like, just exasperation, you know, and, and just devastation exasperation and despair. Yeah, despair, because he doesn't want to see this woman, you know, die again and go through all this. And I thought that scene in the farmhouse was just so, so effective when, you know, he kind of goes through the whole scenario. Hey, OK, there's a mimic hiding over there in the field. You're going to get in the helicopter. You're going to turn it on. It's going to jump out. You're going to crash, you know, X, Y, Z. And it plays out exactly like that. And then, you know, it's it's just such a, a tragic, you know, kind of midpoint in the film. Um, and I don't know, I think the fact that they were able to take to to take that development, but then also kind of continue a strong story and kind of wrap it up uh, in the end in a way that, you know, I thought was satisfactory, you know, is, is great. Because with any type of like really high concept sci-fi like this or high concept film like this, I feel like it's so easy to lose the plot or stumble or you know drop some pieces and it's like you had two-thirds of a really great story a really great idea but you weren't able to execute it or they weren't able to execute it in the end <laughs> cough tomorrow war <laughs> well that's what i said i think when tom- we watched tomorrow war i said that tomorrow war is like if edge of tomorrow lived i repeat edge of tomorrow all you all you need is kill was bad you know like it's just <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you're right, because, I mean, I feel like this is kind of a perfect balance between being really cool, but also being a good film at the same time. Like, I, th- I thought it was like, because there's a lot of, you know, things that are just, like, very conceptual, and you're like, oh, that's a cool idea, but I didn't, I don't really want to watch it again. Like, you know, like, and I, I mean, there's there's a lot of that in sci-fi, but I feel like this uh, did pretty well with what it had, and it really kind of... I I feel like Doug Lehman was, I don't want to say brave, but I think he had the guts to sort of turn everything on its head simply because of the material he had, because of the actors and, and the sort of, you know, studio that he was working with. He decided that, you know, we can go back to the drawing board with this. You know, we can we can do this again. This isn't exactly what I wanted, so let's figure it out. And he was, you know, you know he had the sort of, I guess, sway to do that. I, uh... I also want to just point out a really the fact that a lot of the movie was based around them trying to get off this beach. I don't know, from like a historical perspective, you could tell that that entire thing was just inspired and modeled by uh D-Day. It's actually the same place, right? They're mm-hmm. literally going from England to the you know, Normandy or whatever and trying to invade France and people are just dying everywhere. I think there's a couple shots they actually took from Saving Private Ryan itself, or like homages to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty great. I thought that was a, a really awesome way to do that. There's only one way the English know how to get into France. And it's through <laughs> Normandy. <laughs> through Normandy and a lot of pe- people dying. <clears throat> it worked once, damn it! <laughs> if it ain't um, broke, don't fix it. Yeah, one thing I I kind of wanted to bring up because uh it I think it's interesting it just as like an aside uh Tom Cruise kind of centric thing here, but he's one of those few actors where uh the Mummy aside, he kind of had this like late career resurgence. I feel like like 
probably what when Mission Impossible came back in a big way. Um, he did a few really strong sci-fi films. I feel like Oblivion, what I thought was a good film. Um, you know, Edge of Tomorrow, I really enjoyed a lot, obviously. Um, and you know, beyond that, I think with like some of those other franchises that he uh, uh, has has jumped into, like the Jack Reacher films. I didn't watch them, but I know they do great every time he puts one of those out. Whatever. He's got the new Top Gun coming out. Um, so yeah, apart from the Mummy being kind of like the one like outlier. It was interesting. It's like he's had this, uh, um, you know, not to say he necessarily ever went away, but you see some other actors where, for one reason or another, they just start doing very questionable <laughs> films. You know, like you've got like the Johnny Depp's of the world or whatever. Someone I think oh. of the same caliber in terms of his star power of a certain era. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that Tom Cruise just keeps uh, he keeps trucking along here, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, I, from all intents and purposes, from things you read, he's very like hands on with anything that he's a part of in terms of developing ideas and, you know, script stuff, rewrites, the look of the movie, doing his own stunts. So he's he's obviously seems like a very committed um, actor and performer. And I think you see that uh, that definitely comes across in, uh, you know, everything we've covered of his on the podcast and, and off. But um, I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up as a point because this was 2014. And I remember he was kind of coming off a string of other hits, and this was just another kind of a cog in that in that wheel, I guess you could say. It, it, it's almost like we want to forget that he is a Scientologist, like the poster boy face of Scientology. We, we want to forget it because he is so good of an actor. We, I, we've said this on the podcast before. We love Tom Cruise. But man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely, it's definitely problematic, isn't life his beliefs but let's just say this is proof that scientology works i'm ready to go where do i go uh the the church yeah 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 so i think it's yeah just go there i think they okay. have an office up by like wrigleyville or something That's okay the closest one. You get the maps pulled up i do want to be successful so second <laughs> Um, that up. I just realized I could totally sell an Herbalife subscription to Bill. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Let it rip. Um, the other thing too, I guess, uh, kind of on the topic of actors in the film, um, I thought that uh, you know, Bill Paxton's character was great. Uh, for, you know, kind of the comic relief, but just also the amount of aplomb that he kind of approached that role. I thought that was really great. It's always great to see him in something, and I, I thought this was, you know, no exception. But I was really um, enthused and, and really enjoyed Emily Blunt's character. I think she's great in everything. You know, that's just a, a fact. But I thought it was really cool to see kind of that subversion, too, like we talked about with uh, um, Tom Cruise's character you know, being this inept kind of wuss, whatever. Uh, and then her character being like this ultimate badass and then really taking that time to kind of train him and work through all the different loops and prepare him ultimately for what he had to do. Uh, and it was cool. The movie didn't make a big deal out of it. It's like, yeah, she's a badass, you know, but it was really kind of this cool, um, cool dichotomy, you know, uh, a cool kind of mix up. Well, she's a badass because she did the same thing, right? Like so that's how she trained and became the hero of Verdun is that she was she went through the whole training process like he did and 
Yeah. And he she had her her other guy on the the guy on the other side and all that shit. And um mm, Oh, I wanted to say I didn't even recognize uh fucking Bill Paxton. Like I thought what? it was him, but I like I well I, I I looked at him and I was like, is that Bill Paxton? Mm-hmm. And Tyler was there and he was like, I don't know. And I was like, okay. And I like sat there because like the hat and the mustache is like just enough where it's just like, and I haven't seen him in a while. I was like, is that Bill Paxton? Don't let the makeup effects fool was. you. That yeah. is one hundred percent Bill Paxton. It was Bill yeah, Pullman. It was, yeah. it was he, Bill, <laughs> Bill Pullman. <laughs> Bill Pullman as Bill Paxton. <laughs> Bill as Paxton Sarge. Just takes off the mustache. Holy all of a sudden shit. It's Bill Pullman. Also. I did want to say that I just watched this YouTube video recently from one of my uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels. They're called Lessons from the Screenplay. Um, they also have uh, another channel on um, uh, Nebula uh, that I don't remember what it's called, but they do Lessons from a Screenplay, but with video games. And but they posted this on this video on their Lessons from a Screenplay, and they were arguing that the Mass Effect trilogy should be adapted into a TV show. Which you know, save your opinions on it, whatever. Uh, you know, I I have mixed feelings on it, but the one of their selling points is that they talk about how Emily Blunt should be Shepard, and they use this movie as their evidence and like point out scenes. So I had seen a bit from about her already going into this because of that video, but uh, I I walked away and I was like, wow, she is just a, a badass Shepard. She's even got a fucking sword. And, uh, which I think is just funny. Like, get a gun, maybe. You die a lot because you just have a sword. It feels like maybe we should also strap a gun. Well, the also, I mean, the idea, I remember it's from the books, and I think it was sort of hinted at in the movie, is that uh, the guns were faulty. They would jam, and there was no time. You can't manufacture or find oh. guns within that time. So she, when she was going through her loops, she apparently had a sword. In the In the book, it's a battle axe, but yeah. I the, the sword is a is a plane propeller, a plane an engine propeller. Oh, I think it's, shit. A, it's yeah. I think it's from a helicopter. That's cool. Oh, a helicopter, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely looked like a like a helicopter blade or propeller blade. Uh, so yeah, I was like, hell yeah, that's, that's you, something something she picked up on the field at one point and realized that that would always kind of be a good weapon or something throughout the battle, and uh, then when it was all over, she she kept it. <laughs> yeah. This is oh my god, that's that's awesome. That's badass. Oh yeah, by the way, the Church of Scientology is between a pita, oh is between a pita restaurant and a butchery. So yeah, good. Don't put their room. address on here. We don't want to. We yeah. don't want. I think I'm file. already gonna get kind of stalked by them for putting this on the podcast. So, well, they they definitely have people like scanning podcasts. Uh, we should do a whole Scientology episode. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> uh, what's that one movie? What's the one movie that adapts their book? Battlefield Earth. Yes. <laughs> is that really? Yeah. Oh yeah. my that's god, a, I had that's no a, idea. That's an Elron story. Dietetics or whatever. That is the story that Scientologists use for their for their Bible. Oh, one hundred percent. Okay, so dietetics Dianetics, what is that called? Pippin, be quiet. Uh so yeah, you're on the right track. I think it's Dianetics or something. Dianetics. I don't know. I don't give them pay attention. I don't I don't give them pay attention. Yes. Honestly, we should do Battlefield Earth because I feel like because it's like one of the most reviled movies of all time, dude. And I just thought cake. about that; it's totally sci-fi, so we piece can do cake. it. Piece of cake, piece of cake. But if, cake. if we since, want a good like, I always rip it apart one. I think we should do that. Since I always like to preface awful movies with good movies, uh, we'll do Battlefield Earth after we do Doom. 
Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we'll walk. We'll walk away from Dune and right into Battlefield. <laughs> well, L. Ron Hubbard was definitely above Frank Herbert in terms of you know great science fiction authors. So. <laughs> Don't put this in here though, because he'll bomb my house. <laughs> Cut this out. Cut this whole thing. Out. I'm afraid of them. I'm not. I'm saying they're, you know, they're crazy. Oh, I'm keeping it. Oh, right. great! As if I need more fucking trouble in my life. Let's, <laughs> now I got. I, I got the Scientologist by the Church of yeah. Scientology. Yeah, the Lowell Scientologists are gonna have their fucking van outside my <laughs> dude. House. How, how, how can you? How can you argue with a church that is, you know? The Church of Truth, you know, the truth of you know. <laughs> well, right. when they put it like that, yeah, I know that's. I mean, put me in your dungeon, Cyan Daddy. Cyan Daddy. Oh my God. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> so, <laughs> unless anyone else has any like uh, critical I, things that they want to touch upon, I I I, th- I think I I just wanted to say that. Uh, there, there's probably something to be said about how we. So there's a there's another film that we should probably eventually. I don't think it'll fit in here because it's not so much sci-fi. Um, about time, which is kind of like the whole moral of the story is to live your life like you're doing it the second time. And I feel like there's sort of interesting sort of idea with this. There's a sort of relief from going back and knowing how you should live, how you should live in the moment. And I don't know, there's something about that. It's not so strong in this one, but I always get that feeling when there's sort of a Groundhog Day situation. It's sort of like, if you know what's going to happen, how would you react? You know, if you know that you had you had another chance at this life, what would you do? You know, or or if this this is your last chance at life, what would you do? This is also really like for, for the. This is a character story about a man who needs a crash course in being human. Yeah. He's a man who's been selling war, knowing that the people he's selling war to are going to die. Like, that they're, that these battles are, you know, not, they don't know, he's, he doesn't know they're unwinnable yet, but the fact that, like, they were all pretty sure things were not going well, you know, as things continued, he still continued to sell the war. So now he gets into this and he realize you know, it's the classic, you know, sees how bad it is out here, but gets to know people that he probably encouraged to enlist, uh, gets to know, like, the the true horror of it all. And by the way, uh, the mimics are fucking awesome. I already have a D&D inspi- monster inspired by mimics uh, in this. Uh, I, I was like, oh, man, that would be brutal. But it's they're just so cool the way they like roll around just tossing shit mm-hmm. awesome well yeah, yeah like the awesome design. the way they're like buried too you know I always thought that mm-hmm. especially on the beach scenes it added a lot of kind of suspense because they just pop up everywhere um yeah I I think the last thing I kind of wanted to say uh you know I I think it's implied from everything we talked about but what I really enjoyed about this film for being you know on the longer side I would say. It still felt brisk because I feel like the movie never got lost in the weeds, which is really a good thing. I feel like Tomorrow War did get lost in the weeds, and I feel like that's why even though the films have some similarities, I think that's why ultimately um, I immediately went to Edge of Tomorrow as being the good example of kind of a similar premise, just because it feels kind of breezy, it feels brisk, the story keeps moving along. And like, you know, you're dealing with these 
high conceptual kind of themes in terms of the time loops and, you know, this uh, alien race um, that's just kind of steamrolling most of the world. But they never really dive too deep into the details of it to where it actually loses its sense of menace or mystery. I feel like it's really easy to do that when you start explaining everything or going in these huge exposition dumps. But, like, we find out just enough to propel the story forward, but not too much to where the creatures lose their allure or lose that sense of mystery, which I thought was really great. I think that's a victory of the the writing and of the film itself. So it's it's like the writing and the story was assured enough to where they were able to really focus on that. And yeah, the effects are cool, whatever, but the movie never really lost its footing. And I, I think that's probably the best thing I can say about it as a movie. Um, it's just a really entertaining experience while also being smart. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention one cool scene when he's on the bridge and he's on the Thames, I assume. I don't know. And like, there's all those Thames. Thames. Yeah. The Thames. Um, yeah. So when all those, uh, <laughs> when all those, uh, aliens are going through the river and, and rolling over. So it was a really cool idea that they got from the book that was sort of like, they see him. They see him. They they know he's there, and they know he's coming, and so they attack him. And it's I don't know. I thought that was a super cool scene. I just wanted to mention that everyone should take a second look at. No, yeah, that's. I, I was wondering for a minute, like uh, I, I I thought it was going to kind of revolve. The plot was actually going to revolve around like this secret si- second attack in London. You know, I thought it was going to be like, oh, the Omega is actually in London this whole time. It's underneath the island. Blah blah blah. Like that is how. They're going to get us. It's been moving. And uh, so I was like, serve it. But then by the end, I was like, oh, they were just hunting him. And he was he was safe in the military base. But he was because they weren't going to risk that kind of stupid attack. But mm-hmm. in open streets, they could get him. Cool. It's mm-hmm. cool, cool. All right. Cool, cool, cool. <clears throat> well, uh, I guess we're just going to jump into good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. Uh, Jason. Yeah, um, if it isn't already apparent, I think, you know, great sci-fi, great movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, on the first viewing when I saw it in theaters, this was only the second time I've seen the movie, um, seven years later or whatever it is, and it held up. I thought it was just as phenomenal this time as the first time I watched it. Um, ultimately, I think this is the type of, like, smart kind of popcorn sci-fi that we don't really see that often, but that we would love, right? I mean, we, we've talked about it. How many films, you know, have we covered where uh, in the opposite sense, Tomorrow War, you know, like we talked about, this is kind of the film that that film wanted to be or aspired to be. Uh, granted, it wasn't a huge success when it came out. It did make its money back, but ultimately it kind of ticks all those boxes and it does it in its own way. So I think it was great. Uh, hopefully they do a sequel. Hopefully they don't call it what they want to call it and change that edge of tomorrow too. electric boogaloo repeat <laughs> i think it should be the edge of yesterday and just do emily blunt's experience at verdun mm-hmm. we already know what's gonna happen but i don't give could a fuck. be i'd still watch it uh okay thank you jason ben yeah great sci-fi for sure it is uh it doesn't use a lot of its sci-fi. Like, it does. It uses it. But it uses it as, as plot device and, and and backdrop, whereas, like, the story is is still fairly human, which makes good sci-fi. Um, You know, it's just we haven't – I don't think we've watched a lot of these types in a while that don't, like, really heavily rely on their 
sci-fi style. I mean, at the end of the day, this is Groundhog Day. No? I mean, it's still kind of the same lessons that you learn in Groundhog Day. But it's fun. It's exciting. It looks awesome. And it makes it leaves me wanting more. So definitely great sci-fi. All right. Thank you, Ben. Bill? Yeah. I, I like the story. I love the story when I read it. I love the story when I saw it. Um, I think it's good sci-fi. I think that... Um, I think that the cast did a great job. I think the director made a lot of good choices. And, uh, and yeah, and I think they made an excellent choice with the title after everything was said and done. So there we go. <laughs> Shots fired. He waited for the end of the podcast to say that, too. You son of a bitch. Uh, coward. Doug, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay, Bill. You can, you can be wrong. We call that coward casting, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Um, I thought it was uh, good sci-fi. It was a good movie. Uh, kind of reaffirms that I think Tom Cruise is a great actor. Uh, we'll probably go down in history as one of the better actors of the human race. Uh, Emily Blunt did a fantastic job as well. Uh, and if you want me to throw in Bill Paxton, uh, he was Bill Paxton, which is always a, a two-thumb Hell yeah. Dude, that uh, character actor is amazing. So good. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I loved it. I'm glad we actually did it. Uh, I still maintain that Amazon, I want my fucking money back for watching uh, the Tomorrow War. And if you make a sequel to that, uh, I will not watch it. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I just thought of something really quick. Go ahead, Jason. But I, I want to trademark this potential idea. But what if the sequel is actually a prequel and it shows Verdun, but Emily Blunt's character's, like, um, what do you want to say? Like, mentor character, right? That trains her is John Krasinski. Oh. oh. <laughs> a billion dollars. One billion dollars at the box office. <laughs> and uh it's a story of love and loss between couples. And you know what? As much I'd as break uh, your damn heart. As much as I thought Doug did a fine I'd job. Break your damn heart. I think it would be great if you just let John direct this one cuz we know he's a great director at this point. So. Yeah. Okay. Man, why don't we run a Give studio? John... Why don't we run a studio? This is a great idea. Give John Krasinski all the roles. You know that John Krasinski would just do the right thing and call it Edge of Tomorrow Part 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has my vote just for that. He has my yep. vote just for that. He would do the right thing. <laughs> so what if... Edison intended. What if he blends the Tomorrow War with uh, the other fantastic sci-fi series? Edge of Tomorrow? No, what... what... Quiet Place? Quiet Place. What if he blends Quiet Place and Edge of Tomorrow <laughs> into one franchise? That'd be something. It, it, there are grounds for it fitting. You just have to say that there's two types of aliens. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. It'd be, <laughs> yeah, it'd be really complicated, but... Yeah, don't do it. Anyways. I believe he could do it. That was the biggest shut the hell up, yeah. <laughs> I believe that Krasinski... Yeah, Colin. Krasinski Bay... Great idea. Krasinski Bay could figure it out. He could make it happen. Krasinski Bay. Ski san. Bayzinski. Yeah, I'm just saying, there's a market there. If we got this many Fast and Furious movies, you can make that shit happen. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, Doing all right. a crossover with Jurassic Park. Let's do this. It's going to happen. All right, that's all we have time for, folks. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, next week, we are doing Sputnik. Oh, how about that? It finally caught made up. These are, uh, I, I went through a list of, like, movies we missed in 2020 uh, and started adding them to the schedule, but then more important stuff was coming up, so those kept moving back. So I guess we're watching Sputnik. 
I forget what it's about. Uh, <laughs> well, not what I thought it was going to be about. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up. I was just see. Is it crazy? It looks crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the Russian satellite, right? That's what I thought it was going to be. And then it was not it. it was... It's just uh, like a docudrama piece like uh, Chernobyl or something. I but saw... they're shooting Sputnik up into space. I saw aliens and lasers. So let's get let's get into oh, it. Oh, okay. This is... Oh yeah, god. So All right. look forward to that people. Make sure you check that out, I believe. Well, Just I saw the poster. Watch it. Holy pay shit. money for it. Uh, All right, there you have it folks. Until next time. Adios.